Turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. We are in the middle of this sermon series. This is the second week in our sermon series called Compass. It's a sermon series, of course, on the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest one who ever walked the face of the earth. Of course, he was fully God and fully man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor Jonathan so wonderfully gave us a message last week introducing this sermon series uh, by talking about the first part of this sermon, the Beatitudes. Attitudes to be is what my college professor always called them. And uh, it's basically character traits that every believer should have, right? But the, the Lord Jesus gets to the end of that little list of Beatitudes, and the last one he says are blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. Now, it's interesting that in the process of all these Beatitudes, these attitudes to be, when you really live those attitudes, the world doesn't like it. They don't appreciate it. They don't understand it. So persecution is almost sure to follow. And of course, the disciples who he was talking to, all of them ended up outside of Judas giving their life for this cause, this new king who had arrived on the planet. This king, and Jonathan called it last week, the king's manifesto, this new king is delivering this new message, and it's radical. It is countercultural to anything they'd ever heard or learned or listened to before. So we have a new king who's establishing a new kingdom, but it's vastly different than anybody would have ever expected or honestly even wanted. So the Lord Jesus gives this list of beatitudes or character traits that every believer must have, warns them of persecution at the end, and then he changes from the life that we should live as a blessing to others to now how we should live in responsibility. And he lays out two metaphors that really are the foundation for the rest of his sermon, what it is to be salt and light. I want to talk to you this morning about those two metaphors. Look at your Bibles, chapter 5, the book of Matthew, verses 13 through 16. And I'm reading out of the ESV this morning. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You are the salt. You are the light. Now, the Romans, of course, this was a Roman territory at that time. The Romans ruled the world at this time, and they had a, a very popular saying where they would remind everybody all the time that the two most important things in the world were salt and the sun. Maybe this is why Jesus used these two metaphors in his teaching, because everybody listening to him would have known exactly what he was talking about. You see, salt and light both drastically affect their environment simply by being what they are. And in the same way, we affect the environment in which we live when we simply be who we are intended to be in Christ. We will automatically influence those around us for the good of the kingdom and for the glory of the king. So how do you influence your world? By being salt and light. Salt makes things better. I don't know about you, 
But if you're like my dad, the first words out of his mouth at every meal are these three words, pass the salt. My wife's the same way. In fact, when my family gets together to eat, we just basically put the salt shaker right between my wife and my dad because they're going to be fighting over it the whole meal. Now, I personally don't do a lot of salt. I just don't feel the need to put it in there. It's in food already anyway. And so I put salt on two items of food, uh, sliced tomatoes and hash browns at Waffle House. That's it. Can we just thank the Lord for the hash browns at Waffle House? Praise the Lord God Almighty. Look, she's raising her hand. She's having a worship moment right there. Salt makes things better, but light makes things brighter. So while salt delays the decay, light dispels the darkness. Now, Jesus, when he was praying over his disciples in John chapter 17, right before he went through the, the tragedy of the cross, is praying for his disciples. And he says, Father, please don't take them out of the world. But as they live in the world, don't make them of it either. Don't let them become part. So in other words, Jesus is saying, you are in the world, but you're not of the world. We are to live in it, but not become like it. We are to be the ones who influence the world, not to be influenced by it. We are part of this world, but as salt and light, there must be something distinctly different about our lives. Now, don't, let's, don't miss this. Salt, in order for it to be effective, has to be mixed in with the substance it is affecting. And yet, at the same time, salt is distinct from that substance. When you rub salt into a piece of meat, the salt remains the salt. But unless you rub it into the meat, it won't affect the meat. And yet, they still remain separate. See what I'm saying? Light, in order to dispel the darkness, must shine into the darkness. And yet, it's distinct from the darkness. So let's talk about these two things. They're both incredibly important. I've learned a vast amount of stuff, so I appreciate if you take out your notes and pen and paper or mascara or whatever you use to write with and take a note because I spent an awful lot of time on here and I don't want you to forget it by tomorrow, okay? So listen close. Let's talk about salt. First of all, you are salt of the earth. Salt. What is salt? Sodium chloride, that's the most common form of salt, right? It's this stuff right here. We shake it on our food every day. And guess what? There's 14 different kinds of table salt. Did you know that? 14. And there's over 14,000 uses that I found online for salt. Did you know that none of us can survive without salt? The average person contains at least 40 teaspoons of salt in their body at any given time. Did you know that our chemical makeup is the same basic chemical makeup as seawater? That's how salty we are. We're pretty salty people. It's one of the most important resources we have on this earth. Salt is infinitely important, but to the ancient world, it was even more important for survival. In fact, salt was so valuable, they used to pay the Roman soldiers with salt. And that's why when a Roman soldier wasn't doing a good job, they would say this phrase, he's not worth his salt. It's literally where the phrase comes from. And so salt is incredibly important. So what does Jesus mean when he says, you are the salt of the earth? Well, when you say the word salt to these disciples, they immediately perk up because they know how valuable this stuff really is. When he says you are the salt of the earth, Jesus is speaking in an emphatic plural meaning. And what it really means is this, all of you must be, or you only are the salt of the earth. Now imagine who he's talking to, a bunch of ragtag 
peasant people. They're not world changers. They're not leaders in the Roman army. They're just normal folk like you and me. And he's telling these people that they're the salt of the earth? They're that important? Yes. And he doesn't give them a choice. He doesn't say, you ought to be, you could be. You know, if you really think about it, you should be. No, he says, you are. Which means, as a believer, it's not in question whether you are salt of the earth or not. That's not the question. The question is whether you've lost your flavor or not. If you've lost your ability to do what salt does. So what does salt do? Well, I'm glad you asked. I got a long list. You ready? First of all, salt seasons. Salt adds flavor. As a believer, we should add a certain amount of flavor into the lives of those we encounter, shouldn't we? I read a story this week about former president Woodrow Wilson. He said, I was sitting in a common barber shop when I became aware of a personality that had entered the room. He happened to sit right down in the chair next to me. And every word that that man uttered showed a personal interest in the man who was serving him. When I finished getting my haircut, I noted that I had just had a privilege of being part of an evangelistic service. I purposefully lingered in the room until after the man had left to see the singular effect that his visit had brought upon those in the barbershop. He said they talked in undertones about this man. They didn't even know his name, but they knew that something had elevated their thoughts. And I felt that as I left that place, I should be leaving a place of worship. I later discovered his name and my admiration and esteem for Mr. Dwight L. Moody became very deep indeed. Now, if you're not aware of who D.L. Moody was, he was one of the great evangelists of all time. And here he is in a barbershop next to a former president and his conversation alone lifts the room. Influence, salt. D.L. Moody had come to that store on a mundane day to do a mundane thing, and yet in the process had shaken salt all over the room. He added flavor, no doubt words of encouragement, maybe a personal testimony, a compliment, a nice tip, but just one little moment, and yet it rubbed a little salt into the heart and mind of even a president of the United States. <laughs> you know, you and I are called to do the same. We're called to add value to people's lives. Flavor. Can I ask you something? How do you see people? Do you see them as valuable? Or do you see them as a commodity to be used for your purposes? I love what John Maxwell said. I read, I read this this week from him. It was such a beautiful statement. He said, perspective is everything. If I see you as weak, I'll help you. If I see you as broken, I'll fix you. But if I see you as valuable, I'll serve you. You see the difference? The first two, I'm above you. The last one, I'm beneath you. And it's this posture of serving that brings flavor and seasoning into others' lives. You know, in Jesus' day, when one would go to the market, salt merchants would sell them a bag of salt. And however, some merchants were pretty cheap, and they would shovel the salt from the shores of the Dead Sea. And, and when they would do this, they would also include a mix with the dirt underneath. And they would package it as salt. But its flavor wouldn't last long because it was mixed in with other elements. Its chemical makeup had been diluted 
by other things. You know there's only two ways you can dilute the taste of salt because it's such a strong chemical bond. You can really only dilute and take away the flavor of salt in two ways. When it's combined with other chemicals, thus changing its flavor and lessening its effectiveness, or when it's diluted in water. So salt that loses its flavor is like a light with a bushel over it. It loses its effectiveness. It loses its influence. Someone once said it this way, the lifeboat should be in the sea, but when the sea gets in the lifeboat, well, now you're in trouble. Has your life or your saltiness been diluted by sin and a love for this world? Salt seasons. Let me give you another one. Salt stings. You ever go into the, to the, the ocean and, and open your eyes underwater? I wouldn't suggest it. It hurts. It stings. But it's that salt that brings healing in the process. In ancient times, they would bathe newborn babies in salt water just to heal any scratches or cuts, or cuts that might have been received during birth. You actually see an example of that in Ezekiel chapter 12. And in a spiritual sense, disciples of Christ should never shy away from living a life of conviction, even though it may sting the conscience of those around them just a little bit. And the same from you here at church. You know, sometimes the role of a pastor, Pastor Jonathan, or whoever's up here speaking, sometimes our role is to comfort the afflicted. Other times our role is to conflict the uh, comforted, right? Afflict the comforted. So if you don't leave here at times having been stung by something that's been revealed in Scripture, then that's probably not healthy. Because the Word of God is living and it's active and it's sharper than any double-edged sword and it pierces to dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So it's in this stinging that the healing process begins. So if you're here this morning and you just happen to be living in sin, well, I hope you enjoy the service. I really do. But I also hope that the Holy Spirit will shake a little salt into your soul so that you can begin the walk towards freedom from that sin. So salt seasons, salt stings. Salt also causes thirst. The world is dying of spiritual hydration, isn't it? They're thirsty, but they don't know where to find water for their soul. They're like the woman at the well in John chapter 4, and when Jesus says, I am the living water. So as salt, we need to create a thirst in others for the hope that we have within us. Blessed are those, you heard it last week, who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And when you're doing that, guess what happens? You make others thirsty around you for the hope that you have in your heart. Here's the point. The more salt the more thirst. And boy, we need more salt in our communities, don't we? <laughs> Pass the salt. So salt stings. Salt, it's a seasoning. Salt, it, it causes thirst. But let me give you another one. Salt preserves. And this is where we really, really get into the heart of what I believe Jesus is talking about. Salt preserves. One of salt's primary uses was to stop or slow down decay because there was no refrigerators in that day, right? So stop, uh, salt stops corruption. It it's delays decay. And if we're the salt of the earth, then one of our primary purposes is to slow the decay of this world. And we are definitely living in a decaying world, aren't we? I mean, you don't have to look far. Physically, the world is decaying. Naturally, it's decaying. Morally, the world is decaying. Isn't it amazing to you that the more knowledge and information we have as a society, the more, the more confused we seem to get? The more money and wealth we gain, the more miserable we become. The more educated we are, the more boneheaded decisions we make. And the more we evolve socially, the more depressed we end up. 
It's like the more philosophy we use in our own version of truth, the more we end up fossilizing the very basic truths that have existed since the beginning of time. Like there is a God. You do have a purpose. There is hope beyond this life. And there is a reason for your existence. So part of your existence as a believer, as salt of the earth, is to preserve the truth. Preserve morality. Preserve what is right. Preserve the hope of the gospel. Preserve what is just. Preserve what is innocent. Preserve what is noble. And preserve what is praiseworthy. Be a preservative in your workplace, in your home, in your classroom, in society, everywhere you go. There's two other uses for salt, as a fertilizer and also as a disinfectant. Jesus dives a little deeper in Luke chapter 14 when he says in verse 35 of chapter 14, these words, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What does he mean by that? Well, the word soil is the same word used in Matthew for the word earth. But it gives us a picture of, of one of the uses for salt. You see, around the Dead Sea, there was more than just sodium chloride. There was also potassium chloride. And they would use that salt as a fertilizer for the soil. In other words, it was used as potash, as something that makes good things grow. It was a fertilizer, but it was also used as a disinfectant. See what Jesus says, it is of no use for the soil or for the manure pile if it loses its flavor. Now, what is he talking about there? Well, it's a little morbid to think about it, I guess, but in those days, there was no bathrooms. There was no running water. So when you had to do your business, you had to go outside somewhere behind where you live and go to the restroom. And in the process, there was always a box of salt next to this area where you would be able to throw a handful or two of salt onto that to avoid infection and void disease. So salt not only makes good things grow, it also keeps bad things from growing. So it's a fertilizer and it's a disinfectant. Now it's important to note, please don't miss this, unless salt makes contact with the dirt or the dung, change won't take place. Church, don't alienate yourself from the world. Jesus said, be in the world, just not of it. And I think sometimes as believers, we try so hard to not be in it or of it. We work so hard as Christians to stay out of the world that we end up doing nothing to change the world. We're perfectly happy just having no contact with any lost people at any time. There are some people in this room, you haven't talked to somebody who doesn't know the Lord in years because you do everything you can to avoid them. And you know what? I'm all for Christian education. Listen, my sons went to LCA. I'm the biggest fan of liberty that ever existed, but they're here for a time. And then after they graduate, we send them into the world to be a change agent, to be salt that's effective. Don't be a Christian who stays in the shaker. Because if you are, you're still salt, but you're not doing any good. You're not doing what you were intended to do. So if you work in a workplace and you feel like you're the only believer, maybe it's best to stay there because you're the only salt they'll ever see. Maybe it's best to just dive in and be around people that don't know the Lord because you're the salt. So sometimes you have to come in contact with the earth if you're going to make a real difference. 
So what Jesus is saying by you're the salt of the earth is this. Season. You're the seasoning. You're the sting, the conscience of those around you. You're the thirst that develops in their heart and soul for the hope that you have. You are to preserve the truth in a decaying culture. You are to fertilize the hearts of a dying culture. And you are to disinfect the disease of sin in those around you. Now look. Look around you. Do you see this? This is one big giant salt shaker. And when we leave out of here, the shaking begins. So when you leave here today, I just want you to go shake all over town. When you shake in the Cracker Barrel, you shake into the restaurant, wherever you go, just shake like crazy. Now don't do this because they'll think you're crazy. <laughs> but you know what you can do? You can give a little extra in that tip. You can say a little encouraging word to that waiter or waitress. You can walk across the street to your neighbor and ask if they need any help. You can do all kinds of things to be salt to those around you. One grain of salt does not make a huge difference, but a whole lot of salt can make a massive difference. We're in this together. We need more salt, so pass the salt. The only salt of the earth is you. Be the salt. You are the salt. So start shaking. Secondly, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. <laughs> Once again, Jesus uses the emphatic plural language here. You are, meaning all of you must be, or you only are. He does not say, hey, if there's anyone here who'd like to be the light of the world, raise your hand. No, you don't get a choice. You are the light of the world. So the question is not if you're the light of the world, but if you've put a bushel over your light. Now, before we talk about light, let me just give you a few little thoughts about darkness. This was one of the greatest moments of my week this week as I was studying for this message. Guess what? And I, and I, and I backed this up with two different scientists. Guess what? Darkness is not a thing. It's not. Darkness has no physical entity whatsoever. And I backed it up with a scientist online. He says that darkness does not exist by itself in a unique physical entity. Darkness is simply the absence of light. Now, I don't know why that just made me so happy, but it was so cool to find that out. Darkness is the absence of energy. God said, let there be light, or as my friend Mark Horstemeyer would say, let there be electromagnetic radiation. And there was, and darkness had to flee. Guess what? I also looked this up as much as I could find. I looked everywhere to see if there's ever been a case in history where darkness overpowered light. And guess what? It's impossible. Darkness has no power over light, none. The only time darkness has any power is in the absence of light. But boy, when there's no light, what happens? Well, first of all, darkness binds. You can't move around. You're bound because you can't see, which in turn causes fear. I went, we have a little barn next to our house where we store a bunch of furniture and junk, and I was in there looking for something, and I had the lights off, and it was dark outside, and I walked straight into a coffee table, which was this high, and just smashed my shin. Woo! I, at that moment, was not the salt of the earth. Jesus implies the world is dark. It's dark because of sin. 
But the world remains dark because it's in sin. So it is sin of mankind that caused the darkness, and it's the sin of mankind that keeps the darkness. So the deeper into sin you go, the more bound you become to it, you see. That's why addictions are so dangerous. Because they bind you and they keep you in a dark, dark place. And because of this, millions upon millions are groping around in darkness and they can't find a way out. Because not only does darkness bind you, but darkness blinds you. You cannot see. Now, we can't get too hard on people who don't know Christ. You know why? Because they're doing exactly what lost and blind people do. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, little g, as in Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The reason lost people act like lost people is because they've been blinded to the light of the gospel. They're blind. They're groping in the darkness. And sometimes I watch TV or I look at these stories on the news and I get so stinking mad. But ever since I discovered this verse in 2 Corinthians, I don't get mad anymore. Instead, it breaks my heart because I'm looking at somebody who's completely blind. They don't see the light of the truth of the glory of Christ. They just don't see it. And because of that, they're blind. But as a disciple of Christ, folks, good news for you and me, you never need to be afraid of the darkness because all you got to do is be who you are. You are the light. And you have the light. You have no need to fear, ever. You have no need to worry. Ever, which is why in the next chapter of this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks more about worry than anything else. He says, don't worry. You don't need to. You're the light. You have the light. So what does light do? Let me two, two things as we close. First of all, light reflects. <laughs> and another great revelation for me, because I'm like a D science student. Guess what I, uh, student, guess what I discovered this week? Reflection is what allows you to see absolutely every object in the world that does not produce light on its own. This table, this salt shaker, my Bible, this everything. Everything you see is a reflection of light. And you wouldn't see it if light wasn't reflecting on it. The only thing that, that you can see without a reflection is something that produces light on its own, like my iPad right here. Huh, that's pretty cool. So as believers, I want to remind you, we are a reflection of the light of Christ. Now, this is the only thing in the scripture that Jesus ever said about himself that he also said is the same with us. John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So just like light has a duality, it is both particle and wave. Jesus has a duality as the light of the world. He is both God and man. So it's actually Jesus who's the light. We're merely a reflection of him. We don't produce the light on our own. He's the sun and we are the moon. 
Jesus has passed the light on to us, and we are to be a reflection of his light. Now, it's interesting that the only time that the moon does not reflect the sun is during what we call a lunar eclipse. A lunar eclipse, listen closely, is when the world gets in the way of the sun and the moon. Interesting, isn't it? So instead of the sun's rays reflecting directly onto the moon like it normally does, the earth's shadow now is cast onto the moon, causing it to lose its shine. It's the world that blocks the moon from reflecting the light of the sun. So are you living a life that is eclipsed by the things of this world? Is your light not shining because you place the things of this world between you and the Lord? It still doesn't negate the fact that you are the light of the world, but you're certainly not going to shine when your life is eclipsed by sin. So light reflects. Secondly, light reveals. Reveals what? Truth. Truth. You know, when we're walking in the light and as the light, Jesus calls us a city on a hill. We cannot live lives where one day we shine and the next we don't. A city on a hill isn't doing this right here. It's visible and exposed all the time, day and night, always glowing as a beacon to those who've lost their way. Now, it's imperatively dangerous to live as the light one day while all the while there's a darkness growing inside of you. You need to stay in the light. Keep the fire burning. But so many of us are on and off again, on and off again. We struggle day in, day out. Sunday we're the light, Monday we're not. We won't find an example of this brand of Christianity anywhere in Scripture. In the Bible, either you are or you're not, period. Folks, the call of discipleship is a call to die to yourself. You are not your own anymore. You've been bought with the ultimate price of the cross, and what Jesus expects in return is total surrender. And by the way, those who live totally surrendered shine the brightest light. So when you're surrendered, it's not about you anymore. As a result, you reflect the glory of Christ. You are the light. When it is about you, oh, you're still the light, but you've placed a bushel of pride over it, and no longer are you shining as you should. So either all the glory goes to you or all the glory goes to God. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who's in heaven. Do you know your iPhone? You can try this when you go home. But your iPhone, if you try to take a selfie and you have your flashlight on, when you turn it into selfie mode, the flashlight automatically goes off. I learned that from Sadie Robinson at Passion. Did you know that? That's what happens. It's by design of the iPhone. But by God's design, you cannot get the glory and give the glory at the same time. God doesn't compete for his glory. So no matter how dark you are, how dark of a place you're in, don't ever forget you're the light. So if you walk into the room and you're walking with Jesus, you cannot help but shine. You are a reflection of the only light of the world. Jesus is the creator of the world, and he's the only salvation for the world, and you are his reflection. Let me put it to it another way. You're the only Jesus most will ever see. So let Jesus, let people see the light of Christ in you. Be the light. You are the light of the world. So start shining. Now, just like this place is a giant salt shaker, guess what else? This room is full of a bunch of individual lights. 
And when we leave here, the shining begins. Y'all shine all over town. Be the light to everyone you see. In a small room, a little light goes a long ways. But in a large room, it requires a lot of light to illuminate the whole room. So one light makes a difference, but a lot of light makes a massive difference. We are in this together. As we close, I want to just give you a little story about a magazine article that I heard from John MacArthur this week. And I thought, wow, what a picture of what I'm trying to say. See, the folks, we're in this together as salt and light. We're part of a bigger picture called the kingdom of God. And there was this magazine article that came out several years ago. And it was a tragic story. It was a story about a young couple who owned a big piece of farmland in Kansas. And they would farm wheat. And one day in the process of all the work, uh, their little toddler, a little two-year-old boy, wandered out of the house and into that wheat field. Well, sometimes the wheat can stand way above your head, and then sure enough, it was before the time of harvest. And so in this massive field, this little boy goes wandering, and the mom panics. So there's four pictures in this article. The first picture in the article was like this one, just of a massive wheat field. But the second picture you see is of a mom who's distraught and panicked because she's lost her child. And so they searched for this boy all day long and all night long and never could find him. But by morning time, they had gathered the entire village together. And the third picture you see in the article is this long line of people, hand in hand, arm in hand, arm in arm, walking through this field slowly, searching for that little lost toddler. But then tragically, you see the fourth picture. And it's of the father whose hands are in his, whose head is in his hands and he's kneeling and he's, he's broken because they found the little boy. But the cold of the night had claimed that little boy's life and he died. And the caption underneath the picture of that father read this, oh God, if we would have only joined hands sooner. Hmm. John chapter four, Jesus is looking out into a field and he says these words, I tell you, lift up your eyes. See that the fields are white for harvest, but the laborers are few. We need more salt. We need more light. And if you want to influence this world, then you must be who you are as the children of God. So join hands and be who you are, the salt and the light. It's go time, church. It's time to lock arms, join hands and hearts, Step into the fields to rescue the lost, the fallen, the lonely, the downtrodden, the hopeless, the helpless, the depressed, the poor, the needy, and yes, even, even the rebellious. And as salt, you are the ones who can slow the decay. As light, you are the ones who can dispel the darkness. Together, by the power of God Almighty, we can change the world. So you are the salt of the earth. It's time to start shaking. You are the light of the world. It's time we start shining. Amen. Will you bow your heads? There are those of you here this morning. And maybe by just a word or two in this message, you've been broken because you know in your life you are not salt. You are not light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You were a city on a hill, and then he says this, you put that light on a lampstone so that it will light up the whole house. You know, as light and salt, where it really begins is the home. And then we begin to shine in the community, and then 
together we change the world. Maybe you're here today, and as a believer, you know your salt, you know your light, because that's simply who you are as a believer, but you're not shining, and you've lost your flavor. If that's you, thanks be to God for his mercy and his grace. Why don't you come? Why don't you just come down to the altar? Kneel and pray and just simply ask the Lord to help you take that basket off, to get your flavor back, to be who you are meant to be as a child of the King. And then there are those of you here this morning, you know what? You don't know the King. You don't know what it is to be salt and light because you've never met Him. Why don't you come and take one of these pastors by the hand and simply say this, hey man, would you introduce me? Would you introduce me to Jesus? I want to know what it is to be salt and light. I want to know what it is to know the light of the world. We'd love to introduce you to him because it'll change your life and you'll be saved and you'll be rescued from your sin and you'll have a home in heaven for eternity. So there's the invitation. Are you salt? Are you light? If not, come on down. Let's get things right with the Lord. And if you've never met him, why don't you come too? We'd love to introduce you. Will you stand where you're at? And as you are, we should go sing this old chorus we used to sing along here a long, long time around here because the chorus says, mighty to save. And then the bridge says, shine your light. Shine your light for all to see. All right, come on, let's sing it together. Savior, he can move a mountain. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, he rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. My Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. It's game time. You're about to leave. So as you leave, start shaking. And as you go to work in the morning, you be shining because the world needs you. You be the salt. You be the light. God bless you as you go, all right? I want to thank you for joining with us today. If you've never come to the place of recognition in your life of being a sinner and needing a Savior, you can do so right now. Believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again to give you eternal life. Just ask him to save you today. If you would like to talk further about what it is that God has done for you in the giving of his son, Jesus, we would love to chat with you about that. I would encourage you to email us at the address that is on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. We would love to connect with you to help you begin a brand new journey with Jesus Christ in your life. And if you would like to help to contribute to our ministry as we take this message of the gospel around the world, go to the link on the screen today and help us help others with the amazing message of God's love. To let them know that God loves them, that Christ died for them, that he rose again. And through Christ, we have hope.